of you for being here today. Delighted, honored, humbled that you would come. God bless every one of you. To our, we have a First Church Sterling Heights and we have a First Church Canada. And to all of our Canadian saints, we want you to know we love you and we miss you. And uh, oh, we want to be with you soon. Amen. Amen. Nathan and Carissa and their babies, Leonard and Aileen, Chris and Sasa, their family. Amen. Lois, you get my gal. I love you, you get. You and your girl. Appreciate all of you amazing people. Benny Pacheco out there in Denver. Your brother told me you faithfully watch every week. We want you to know we love you. Proud of you, buddy. Thank you so much for just joining in with us and trust it will always be a blessing for you and with you. Amen. It's been an amazing week, very busy week around here, but it's been just a great week. And I'm grateful for everything that's been accomplished. Isaiah 40 and verse 3 says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this is how you build that highway. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. That's 800 years before this. Luke 3, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Amen. Praise God. It's what we're after. It's what we're after. You may be seated. <clears throat> he was alone in the Word. There's uh, no one really that even comes close to replicating John the Baptist. He wasn't Old Testament. He wasn't New Testament. He was a hinge. He was a, uh, a go-between. He was a man literally who was given his own dispensation. He was a fresh voice after 400 quiet, silent years. Read the last verse in Malachi. Most Bibles, it's just a page, one page between Malachi 4 and Matthew 1. But it's 400 years. The last verse of the Old Testament said, I want the fathers to turn their hearts to the children. When that happens, the children will reciprocate. They'll turn their hearts back to the fathers. He said, if you don't do it, I'm going to judge you, I'm going to curse you. And they obviously didn't do it. And that's why God gave them 400 years without a voice until finally John the Baptist showed up. I do my best to try and be fresh and have a new approach every week and every time I speak to you. But uh, John the Baptist didn't. John the Baptist's ministry, near as we could tell, lasted about six months. He had one message, repent, repent. 
He preached every day of the week, and I'm sure multiple times on those days. One message, repent, repent. But if you read Isaiah and the fulfillment of it in Luke 3, it is obvious there were four things that uh, John said we're going to have to do before the king shows up because the king needs a highway. The king needs a good road to ride on when he shows up. The first thing he said, you're going to have to fill the voids. You're going to have to take the low places, and you're going to have to get rid of them. Nature hates a vacuum. It's amazing how much junk accumulates in a ditch. I walked in a ditch yesterday beside of a dirt road. Uh, I found nails, cigarette butts, broken glass, bottle caps. I found one glove. I found one flip-flop, the broken plastic of someone's back bumper. I found a quarter, um, a plastic toy, and a dirty hat. And uh, just amazing how much trash accumulates in those low places beside of the road. Something wonderful happened this week in the science world. They went back to the Marianas Trench. It's the lowest place in the ocean, almost seven miles deep, over 30,000 feet deep. I can't imagine that. Takes them 11 hours just to get down that deep in the ocean. They found at least three new species of fish that no one had ever cataloged before, but they also found something that was quite disappointing. They found a can of Coke down there, an old rusty Coke can. And uh, I'm sure because of the limited light that submarine was able to shine down there, I promise you that Coke can is not alone. There are others that are lurking down there in those cracks and crevices. We're going to have to go through our low places, and we're going to have to get the junk out of them. And we're going to have to fill them up with something good. Every time you read about Jesus in the Bible, it's up. It's up. You will not serve God for long with a hanging head. It says in the book of Psalms, you need to lift up your heads. And when you do, the king of glory will come in. Jesus appeared to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter got it all confused. He said, we need to build three churches here. He no sooner got that out of his mouth, and there was such a display of power and light, they fell on their face. It said, when they lifted up their eyes, all they saw was Jesus only. I like this verse. It's in Acts 3. First verse, after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, it says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Ninth hour, about three in the afternoon. These old boys were going, I always like that, up to pray. You don't ever go down when you pray. You're always going up. Bible said that Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. The word says you got to lift up your head. It also says you got to lift up your eyes. There are dozens of verses in the Bible that said you have to lift up your voice. And you better not let your hands hang down either. Lift up them hands. Everything about Satan is down. And everything about the Lord is up. 
So it should not surprise you that it says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. There are ditches in our lives, junks accumulating there. Got to fill that up. or Otherwise, something's going to take the place of a spot that should be reserved for the Lord. Mountains have to be brought down. I've heard lots of sermons about this verse. It's in Mark. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. I've heard lots of sermons on mountains in our lives, something big, something intimidating, something that it seems impossible to climb. I've heard preachers talk about the mountain of debt that people have. God will get rid of that. But I've always looked at things a little bit closer. I I want you to notice that just as in English you have indefinite articles like A and an, and you have definite articles like the, it's the same way in the Greek language. Listen to this verse, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. He didn't say any mountain. He didn't say a mountain. He's talking about a very specific mountain, a mountain that all of those people back there understood what he was talking about, but we don't. The answer is in Mark or in John chapter four. Jesus divided his disciples. He said, you fellas go buy some lunch. I'm gonna go up here and sit on this well. What he didn't tell them was he had an appointment with a much married lady up there. She had five kids and every one of them looked like a different dad. You don't go to the well in the afternoon. You go in the well in the morning and the evening. The only reason you would go in the afternoon is because you don't want anybody to see you. I promise you this woman has been uh, uh, just made fun of. She's been derided. There's been a lot of terrible things that have said about this woman. And he said, uh, uh, I'd like you to give me something to drink. And she said, uh, what in the world are you doing asking me to give you something? And he said, lady, if you really knew who I was, you'd ask me, give you something to drink. And all of a sudden he started talking to her. And this is what Jesus said to that woman. He said, uh, things are going to change. And the woman responded, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You're dealing with this stuff. These are places of religious power. These are spiritual obstacles. What he is saying is, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to take that out of your way. And uh, I always loved that story in John 4 when she left. The Bible said she left her water pot at the well. And I think the reason she left it is because she found the real well, the real water of life. Come and hear a man that told me everything I ever knew and everything I ever did. It was something very special. Crooked things have to be straightened out. This is what Paul said in Philippians. He said that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse 
nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. <laughs> Boy, are we ever living in a crooked and a perverse nation. This is what the message said. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of what good living looks like and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. This is what it says in Psalms 23. It says, he restores my soul and he'll lead me in paths, not path, paths of righteousness for his namesake. It was the opinion of Jesus Christ that the greatest revelation in the world was who he was. Jesus said, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. When he said that, it should give us an understanding of the power and the majesty of the revelation of who Jesus really is. Jesus is not Jehovah Junior. He is not the second person in a fictitious trio of beings. Jesus is God in flesh. That when you go to the New Jerusalem, which is what many people call heaven, you're going, not going to see an old man, a younger version of that old man who looks like a victim of a tragic farming accident with all of his scars. You are not going to see a bird that's there. You're going to see what John saw, one sitting on the throne. You're going to see what John saw. Amen. And that's why you need to understand the only legal liquid that can deal with sin is blood. God is spirit. If he remains spirit, he can't redeem anyone. But if he could wrap himself in flesh and use that body to shed that spotless blood, that's where our redemption came from. You gotta understand, it's very, very simple. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter four, there is one spirit, capital S. John 4 and 24 says God is spirit, capital S. If there's just one uppercase letter S spirit, and God is that one spirit. So in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, now the Lord is that same spirit. Not another spirit, that very same. So whether you call that spirit God or Lord, doesn't matter. There's just one spirit. And that's why it says the Lord is that same spirit. So in Acts 9, when Saul of Tarsus is laying flat on his keister on the road to Damascus, he said, who art thou, Lord? The answer is, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. And that's what you have to understand. Jesus is the saving name of our God. And if you understand that, you have access, just like there are things that people that don't pray and people that don't fast, they're, it's off limits. Jesus said, this kind goeth not out except by prayer and fasting. So if you don't pray and you don't fast, there are some things in the spirit you're never going to experience. This thing is the same way. There are paths of righteousness that are off limits to people that do not understand the power of the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. When you have that understanding, there is an entire set of trails that are out there beckoning you 
calling you. There's not a lot of sandal prints there. There's not a lot of boot tracks there. They're solitary things. They're not wide thoroughfares. They are paths. But I'm telling you, they are there. And if you have the understanding of who Jesus is, he's inviting you to walk down those amazing paths of righteousness. But I warned you, you're not going to be able to do it unassisted. That's why it says in Psalms 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I would like you to notice that I did not begin that verse the way it's given to you in your Bible. If you know anything about the word, Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Notice how in Psalms 119, 105, it does not begin, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It begins with N-U-N, nun. What in the world is that? You have to understand that there are 22 letters in the Jewish alphabet. If you take 22 times eight, you're gonna come up with 176. And you say, what is the significance of that, Pastor? Because there are 176 verses in the 119th Psalm. And you have to understand that every series of eight scriptures begins with a letter in the Jewish alphabet. That's why when you go to Psalms 119 and verse one, it begins with Aleph, and then the verse is given. And for the next eight verses, every in the Hebrew, every one of those verses begins with what we would call the letter A. And then when you come to verse nine, it begins with death. And that's why every one of those next eight verses will begin with what we would call the letter B. It's Beth in the Hebrew language. Language. And when you come to the next series, it says Gimel. And the next eight verses, every one of those verses in Hebrews begins with that letter. Daleth. On and on I can go. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And what happened? Eight is very significant in the Bible because seven is all the way through that scripture. And eight is always the number of new beginnings. That there are not eight days in a week. There are seven days in a week. And when you come to the eighth day, it's literally the beginning of the next cycle of seven. It's not by chance that there are eight verses under Aleph, and there are eight verses under Beth, and there are eight verses under Gimel, and eight verses under Doubt, because the Bible says the word of the Lord is perfect. It is perfect. It is absolutely perfect. I, 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 come on, all of you Jesus wept disciples, get into the word because Isaiah said his first name ought to be wonderful, wonderful. That when you get into the word, it will seduce you. You will begin to fall in love with your time in the word. Walk into the lobby of this church. We are here and exist to help you love God. And once you love him, to learn the word of the God that you've fallen in love with. And when that word takes a hold of your lifestyle and your thought life, it will affect the way you live. And you will begin to live a life, amen, that is directed by the word of the very God that you now are in love with. This is a big deal. If you're walking a crooked path, you are wasting a lot of your time. You're going to have to get on a straight path. You're not going to do that without a life in the word. Are you crooked with your money? Then get straight. Are you crooked with your lifestyle? Get it straightened out. Are you crooked with your relationships? Get it done. 
And finally, don't you think it's time to smooth out the rough places in your life? I wanted to build a new house to accommodate my amazing mother and fantastic father. And, uh, and uh, I told my wife, we looked for two years for a piece of property. And finally, I was in a builder's office. He said, I have just purchased six lots out on Mound Road. And I said, I know exactly where that is. I'll take lot number five. And he said, you, but I, I said, no, there ain't no buts. We've been looking for two years. That's the piece of dirt that I want. I want a place where I can have a walkout basement. I couldn't find that until then. Every time I got somewhere, it was already gone. I was the first one in line. The guy was stunned. Okay, guy knows what he wants. Go put a sign out there. And that's what they did. I told my wife three years ago, we're going to build a house that'll take care of you and me and Ashley and mother and daddy. But I have got one very very simple request. I'm not living on a dirt road. Now I know many of you live on dirt roads and that's your prerogative and that's your choice. But I was raised on dirt roads and I don't like dirt roads. I don't like the dust that's always there in the summer. I hate the peanut butter that's there in the winter. I hate it. You might as well own stock in Mr. C's car wash if you're going to live on a dirt. I don't want to live on a dirt road. But I'm not here to talk to you about where you live. I'm here to talk to you about how you live. It's called corduroy. That's what it's called. Bumpy, bouncing, banging your head on the roof. Give me some smooth water. Give me some smooth asphalt. I don't want a bumpy life. Come on. Let's smooth it out. Let's smooth it out. Lift up your head. You get what I'm talking about here? Lift up your head. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your voice. Lift up your hands. Don't let spiritual obstacles keep you. Jesus is not into religion. Jesus is into relationships. Don't let religion keep you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Get in that word and start walking a straight path. Why? Because the king wants to come. And I promise you, the king ain't riding on a bumpy road. When the king comes, this is what Isaiah said would happen if you would fill in the ditches, tear down the high places, straighten out the crooked, smooth out the smooth, smooth out the rough. He said that that, that, that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is what Luke said would happen after John the Baptist preaching. He said, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's what we want. We want him to show up. I'll never forget the elder that I heard years ago look at me and simply said, Harold, Pentecost needs a Pentecost. Pentecost needs a Pentecost. So it does not surprise me that last Monday night's prayer meeting was one of the best that we have ever had. Do you understand that people were baptized this week in our life groups? They had a prayer meeting around the flag and literally touched people and they brought them from the flag in here and baptized them during life groups. Do you understand that the staff prayer that we had this Thursday was the most intense staff prayer in the history of staff praying? Do you understand that Dwayne West 
went yesterday to speak at a Spanish church, but he needed an interpreter. So he took Jesse Rodriguez. Jesse Rodriguez, the enemy did his very best to destroy his, destroy his family, but Jesse Rodriguez was the translator yesterday for Dwayne. And last night I got a text, praise God, pastor, one filled with the Holy Ghost, two baptized in Jesus' name. Do you even know that happened? Do you know that Steve Preciado and his sweetheart are actively involved in a Spanish congregation in Mount Morris? Do you understand that Ryan Gibbs wrote a song this week? And as of this morning, she's had 4,000 people from all over the country listen to her song. Do you understand that? Do you understand that we buried an amazing lady this week? Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of one of his. Do you understand what's going on right now. I tell you, my mother's sitting right there. God loved daddy, singing in the sweet by and by. He said, you know, probably gonna die, ready to go. The Lord's coming, he's gonna take us away. My precious mother looked at my daddy and said, Jesus ain't coming this week. And he said, what do you mean, Esther? He said, she said, Jesus ain't coming. He said, why would you say that? She said, because you ought to come to the prayer meetings in the church. She said, something's happening in that church house over there. I believe we're gonna have a harvest. Now, if you want to die and go to heaven, you go. I'm going to stay here and see the revival in the church and the harvest among the lost that I know in my heart's coming. I'm telling you, the king wants to show up. It's our job to get ready. So you get that junk out of your life, take them obstacles away, get in that word, and let's straighten this thing out. Why? I believe he wants to come. Listen to this verse. I'm almost done. First Samuel 14 and verse 47. Sound people don't have this verse. So Saul took the king over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the children of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines, that wheresoever he turned himself, he vexed them. This verse intrigues me because it is a list. It is a litany of the things that Paul or that Saul was against. He was against this and he he was against that and he was against this and he was against that i am here to remind you dear jesus i, I made a statement a week ago you can't believe how far that stayed. i was black lives matter before there was ever black lives matter I've, I've i've done my very best to make this a multicultural church i believe it's the will of god not for just this church i believe it's the will of god for this city amen there's not going to be an eight mile in the new jerusalem there ain't gonna be a hood in the New Jerusalem. Somebody from every tribe and every kindred and every tongue. But I'm gonna tell you right now, I, 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 I got a hold of Chief Berg. You remember Chief Berg? We honored all the peace officers. Chief Berg was here. I said, Chief, I just wanted to tell you that I love you and I'm praying for you. He called me back and he said, I'm not chief anymore, I'm retired. And I said, I bet you're glad to be retired. He said, you can't believe how good how it is to be retired right now. It's getting rough out there. I'm telling you as your pastor, when you go through this city this week, every, every police officer you see, you make an effort to say, we're praying for you. We're standing by you. We want you to know that we're doing everything to pray a hedge of protection around you. 
The number one responsibility of government is the safety of its citizens. Don't you ever forget that. It drives me crazy. See these people tear down Washington Monument, tear down Lincoln's Monument. They want to tear down a statue of Lincoln with a black man not even understanding that it was the black community that gave the money to actually build the statue of Abraham Lincoln. They want to get rid of Winston Churchill. And my here's my deal. All these people are against. I'm against this. I mean, what? have they ever built? They've never built nothing. All they do is tear, tear down, tear down, tear down. Don't you live like that. I don't care what you're against. What are you for? What are you for? I tell you what I'm for. King's coming. I want to get ready for the king. God gave me, I really believe it. God gave me something in prayer this morning. I came here trying to get ready. And I was thinking about that verse that says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And I realized for the very first time in my life, there are three kinds of people when you deal with the flood of Noah. First of all, there are a group of people who perished in the flood. Second of all, there's a group of people who literally rode through the flood and they were provided for and they were protected through the flood. But before their people were perished in the flood and people went through the flood. There's a guy by the name of Enoch who God removed before there was ever a flood. I believe a flood's coming. I believe there's a lot of people going to have a bad day, but I also believe before that flood shows up, he's coming to take us out of this world. I believe that with all of my heart, but I have a promise in the word. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. Now there are some Pentecostal deadheads that they could care less. And a lot of times there's new converts that are going to bring this thing over the top. But I am telling you one way or another, God's going to have a glorious church without a spot, without a wrinkle, without a blemish or any such thing. I want to do everything I can to get ready right now to say, even so, Lord Jesus, have you got it? We've had it so cushy for so long. Listen to the word. It's going to get rough. God's going to disturb us to where we're going to pray. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. I want a revival and a harvest so big that it'll, it'll make the devil pray for the rapture because the church is disturbing his plans and disturbing what he wants to do. Come on, people. Amen. Whether you're in this building, whether you're online, get in that word. Get your life straightened out. You don't have to have regular service. People get the Holy Ghost, get baptized in spite of all these restrictions because I do not serve a God of social distancing. I serve a God that wants to get close to you. If my people will draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to you. Jesus' name, amen. If you want special prayer, there are people coming right now. They will pray for you. Amen. But this is not just for people who want special prayer. If you're comfortable coming around the front of a church and worshiping and magnifying God, then we invite you to do that. If you choose to stay in the pew, fine. I'm cool with that. But I'm just asking you that wherever you are, wherever it's virtual and online or literally real alley, in this room here right now, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's get ready. Let's get ready for a revival in the church and a harvest among the lost. Hallelujah. Fill in the voids. Take down them high prayer pride places. 
Amen. Straighten out that crooked. Smooth out the rough. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.